Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Ashley LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Good weekend, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming, and it's a uh, big episode because it's the last episode of Season 18. We'll expand on that here in a second. Of course, The Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. Three locations in the Edmonton area uh, to pick up your beef jerky. You can go to Leduc, Spruce Grove, or the kiosk in West Edmonton Mall. But you can also... Order it from their website at wilhawkbeefjerky.com, and they will ship it to you. Any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada, wilhawkbeefjerky.com. Season 18 is coming to a close after today's episode. Uh, We'll take two weeks off, and then we'll be back for Season 19 starting on, I believe it's August 18th. Let me just uh, pull out the phone and double-check that. Uh, Yeah, not next week, not the week after. August 18th is the uh, target date to start season 19, almost two decades now of the Pipeline Show, and can't do it without the continuous help and support, long-time support for a lot of you, uh, via Patreon, patreon.com slash thepipelineshow, where you can sign up for a couple of bucks a month, even less than that if you do it on an annual basis. It's all done securely via credit card. I don't see the numbers. It's all done through Patreon and PayPal. Then you get early access to all the interviews. There's some other perks as well. Even doing it with some of the sponsors now. Could not do the show without the support of uh, patrons and listeners like you. Uh, so my ongoing thank you very much for that. We got three guests to close out uh, Season 18. But of course in the opening segment we always do the news and notes portion. And a bunch of things to mention. Uh, let's start in the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, this is pretty cool. The Kitchener Rangers have a new head coach, and it's a non-North American. Coming from Finland, 40-year-old Yusi Ahokas, who has a really good track record uh, over the last few years. Back in Finland, of course, he uh, coached the the Finns to a gold medal at the World Junior Championship that in uh, 2019, but was also a gold medal winner with the U18 squad back in 2016. He's been coaching the men for the last four years, so going back to junior hockey, but doing it over here. That's outside-the-box thinking, 
kudos to the Kitchener Rangers for doing that. A trade in the Western Hockey League of note as the uh, the Wenatchee Wild were trying to figure out, okay, what's their plan going to be? Do they want to contend again? Because they got a potentially a pretty good roster of players coming back to them. Uh, or do we start to see them make some trades and recoup some draft picks? Well, Carson Latimer, now a re- member of the Red Deer Rebels, is that an indication of what the Wild will do? Or is this a case of uh, just having to do something to uh, get down with your 20-year-olds? And Latimer having some uh, trade cachet. Wenatchee picks up a fifth in 2024 and a third in 2025. And I think that's a pretty good pickup for Red Deer. Latimer's speed is going to do uh, very well in Red Deer. And if he can find a little consistency to his game, he could be a pretty solid 20-year-old. Host cities for a number of uh, Hockey Canada events have been uh, announced. The World Junior A Challenge this year goes uh, December 10th to 17th in uh, Nova Scotia, in Truro, Nova Scotia. I was told a few weeks back that it was going to be in Brooks, uh, but then the Brooks Bandits, actually, I had tweeted that out because that was the indication I was given. Uh, the Brooks Bandits replied to that tweet and said, no, we're not doing that. So now it's official that it's in uh, Truro, Nova Scotia. The Centennial Cup this year will be in Oakville, Ontario. That goes uh, in uh, mid-May. And the uh, Men's UAT National Cup goes in Sydney at the end of April. Sydney, Nova Scotia. Sticking with Hockey Canada, they didn't have a summer camp for either the Holinka Gretzky Cup team, which is now over in Czechia and uh, Slovakia, as that tournament gets underway on Monday. So they didn't have a camp, and they didn't have a camp for the uh, U20 squad either, but they had uh, virtual meetings, and much can change between the summer and the actual tournament, which will be in uh, Sweden this year, the World Junior Championship. Uh, But Canada's four goaltenders in the summer, Dominic DiVincensis from uh, the North Bay Battalion, Scott Ratzliff of the Seattle Thunderbirds, Mathis Rousseau from the Halifax Mooseheads, and Prince George Cougars netminder Ty Young. Those are the guys with the inside track right now. Uh, Number of defensemen, four of them are first-round NHL draft picks in Kevin Korczynski of Seattle, Maverick Lamoureux of the uh, Voltiger of Drummondville, uh, Denton Matejchuk, who's a Columbus Blue Jackets first-round pick uh, from the Moose Jaw Warriors, and Swift Current defenseman Owen Pickering. Now, is it a given that those guys will be on the team? No. Pretty decent crop of defensemen. I wouldn't say it's the uh, doesn't have some of the star power that we've seen from previous uh, World Junior teams, but it's still a pretty good core. I think the star power definitely comes with the forward group. One player invited Adam Fantilli, who chances are he's not going to be available. And of course, Connor Bedard would be eligible, but not expected to be playing in the World Juniors this year. Zach Benson, just signed by the Buffalo Sabres. He's uh, on this team. Macklin Celebrini, who, well, he gets mentioned uh, in one of my guest segments today. One of four 2024 draft eligible players um, amongst the forwards who took part in this summer video session. First round picks include Benson, as I mentioned, Colby Barlow, Nate Danielson, Connor Geeky of the Wenatchee Wild, Callum Ritchie from the Oshawa Generals, Matthew Savoy also from Wenatchee, Matthew Wood of uh, the Connecticut Huskies, and Braden Yeager from the Moose Jaw Warriors. Cohen Ziemer gets an invite from uh, the Prince George Cougars. But interesting, uh, Riley Height not on this list. Anyway, that's just the summer camp. So these are the guys who are on the uh, the the radar right now for Hockey Canada. Things can change once the CHL season begins. The Brooks Bandits are on their way to Sweden 
not quite yet, but in mid-August they are going to play in the U20 Super Challenge in Karlstad, Sweden. It'll be uh, eight teams, I believe, and they're all from different countries. The uh, countries represented that will be in the group with the Brooks Bandits will be uh, Norway, Denmark, and Hungary, whereas Group A will feature the host club from Sweden, that's uh, Faryastad, uh, as well as France, Austria, and Italy. It reminds me a bit of the old Junior Club World Cup, which used to take place in Russia. Obviously, that's not happening. Hasn't since 2019. It only went nine years, uh, and the Russians did very well, as you would expect when you're hosting a tournament. Uh, The Sudbury Wolves went over twice. Back in 2012, they won it. The final was all North American. The Sudbury Wolves of the OHL taking on the Waterloo Blackhawks from the USHL. 2-0 Sudbury shutting out Waterloo in that game. Sudbury went back again in 2013, didn't finish on the podium. The AJHL's been there a couple of times at least. The Fort Mac Oil Barons uh, went up in 2011, and uh, they went 0-3. They did not have a good showing. Uh, But the uh, AJHL sent an all-star team in uh, the last year it ran in 2019. They finished with uh, the silver, losing 3-0 to the host team in the final. The USHL has gone at least four times. Uh, silver was the the best they'd finished, uh, but they did pick up bronze medals in 2013. That's Dubuque, Sioux City in 2014, and Chicago in 2015, all collecting uh, bronze medals. But that tournament has not run, and obviously for probably COVID reasons in uh, 2020 and 2021, and then for political reasons the last couple of years. So uh, good to see Sweden uh, starting this tournament up. We'll see if it continues on. Uh, lastly, I would direct you to bchlnetwork.ca as a Brian Weeb, who's been on the show to talk about uh, how, what's happening with the BCHL and going independent. Well, he's got a, another new story here. As BC Hockey, the governing body of, uh, of hockey in British Columbia, uh, they've reclassified three of the Junior B leagues to Junior A, but Tier 2. Uh, they will be Junior A Tier 1 a year from now. And really, that's all business-related to go from Tier 2 to Tier 1. He's got a pretty good outline of that and what it all means uh, in his story as he spoke with uh, Cam Hope from uh, BC Hockey. But what's interesting about this is that uh, they've left the door open for BCHL teams to come back. And I would assume that this means uh, the WHL will be able to uh, send some of their uh, players to the, uh, for example, the KIJHL the three leagues are the KIJHL, which is in the Kootenai region, the uh, PJHL, and uh, the VIJHL, which uh, v- that's Vancouver Island. So that's interesting as the uh, landscape of junior hockey in uh, in Canada, and especially in BC, continues to evolve. Uh, check out Brian's story at bchlnetwork.ca. If you're in the market for some hockey equipment, go to prostockhockey.com as uh, just an hour ago on their Twitter feed. Warrior Alpha Girdles just went live on the site. Might want to check those out. They've always got uh, sticks, gloves, and helmets. All future orders over 100 bucks receive a free Howie shower bag. All the details at ProStockHockey.com. Now let's get to the guest list uh, for this uh, Season 18 finale. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline. You can go to TroubledMonk.com slash shop. See what they've got in inventory. And then either stop in at the tap room in Red Deer or go to your local liquor store in Alberta and pick up what you want, whether it's a craft beer or spirits. You can get a lot of their craft soda. You can get that at your local grocery store. 
I recommend that you check it out. It is craft beverages worth sharing for sure at troubledmonk.com. Here are the three guests that I have uh, lined up for you today. We're going to begin with Steve Ewan from the Vancouver province as uh, the Giants have made some news here in the offseason as head coach Michael Dick has moved on to the American Hockey League. Uh, they are in need of a new head coach. Chat about uh, who the potential candidates are for that. They had a couple players taken high in the NHL draft and they made a new selection, a new addition with an import player in the CHL import draft. So lots to talk about with Steve Ewan including uh, what does it mean to have the Wenatchee Wild now in the Western Conference. Gets a little tougher to make the playoffs out West. From there, a conversation with the new president and commissioner of the United States Hockey League. And uh, we cover a lot of ground, have an interesting discussion about the BCHL, as, as a matter of fact, because the BCHL has talked about how they would eventually like to maybe have some competition, some crossplay uh, between that league and the USHL. And I asked uh, Glenn Heffern about that and more. And we will close things out this season with uh, Chris Peters with a uh, preview of next week's Holinka Gretzky Cup, which begins on Monday. We're looking specifically at Team USA and Team Canada with some thoughts on some other other players uh, that he has his eye on as well. So lots to cover today. And we begin with Steve Ewan from the Vancouver province next here on the Pipeline Show at Season 18 Finale. And it's brought to you by Willock Beef Turkey. Minnesota selects as the first pick in the 1988 entry draft. From Prince Albert, Mike Medano. Hey, this is former Prince Albert Raider Mike Medano, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Go Raiders, go! Go Raiders, go! The green, white, and gold team is Go Raiders, go! We take on the roughest and welcome the toughest. But the song in Prince Albert is Go Raiders, go! Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I heard about that thing on the AM radio. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. This week, uh, we are talking about the WHL in this opening segment. And uh, my guest to do that has been a longtime uh, beat reporter for, well, all of Vancouver sports, uh, including the Vancouver Giants. Uh, Steve Ewan from the Vancouver province. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Steve. How are things out in Vancouver? Things are nice. We're nice and sunny out here. I don't know. I don't know if I'd like the long time. I, I it, it makes me feel old, but I, you know, I will gladly take it. Well, I got guys who I was covering in the WHL who are now retired from the NHL. So yeah, I'm old, Steve. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it happens. Yeah, I've, I've got I've got sons of guys that I covered now. There you go. Yes, yeah, it certainly goes by quick. Well, my I, dad says hi. That is like the worst statement in my life right now. <laughs> That's good. I haven't had that one yet. I've had, I've had, I've, I've had a few of those. I've had, yeah, it's, it's, it's more than I care to mention. Wow. All right. Uh, well, news uh, this summer for uh, Vancouver Giant fans. Um, I guess we have to start with the head coaching position. Uh, Michael Dick off to the American Hockey League with the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. Uh, what does that do for the uh, the Giants? Do they have a plan to, that you're aware of? I haven't seen anything unless something's uh, broke here since I last checked. I, 
I think there. I, I think it came rather quickly. <laughs> I think the plan had been that Michael was going to return, and the Toronto Maple Leaf situation changed, and he had been very close to getting a job in Calgary previously for Brad Brad Trilliving. Mm. So I think when Brad decided to change things with the Marlies, Michael suddenly was back in play there. But I think the plan all the plan had been for Michael to come back. So I think they're shifting on the fly here. I, I think they're t- talking to various people. Um, it's it's a, obviously a, a city that's got some cachet to it, and a program that's that's done well is is supported well. So I, I it, they're going to be fine. But yeah, I, I, it did it did it, it wasn't something that they saw coming from miles away. All right, and it's it's only been uh, what about uh, five six days ago? So as we're yeah, speaking right it's, now, it's 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 very fresh. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think it's something that's only happened in the last altogether two weeks, maybe. <laughs> like starting from Toronto, making that phone call, and, right? You know, things you know, things kind of being a play there. So, all right, well, it is summer, but camps open up in about what six weeks? I, I think they will have a guy in the next week, ten days. Okay. Any guesses? I know James Patrick is interesting to them. I know they yeah. talked to Manny Manny Viveros, but it sounds like he's he's I play for a pro job. I um I've heard Jim Playfair's name. I, I think there's there's a lot of names that people would know would be associated with the job. I, I think they're uh, they're going to look for a, a, a particular fit. I think they're looking for they've got a younger group so i think they want a real teacher uh someone that that they they think is going to grow with the group so and a veteran you think it'll be a veteran head coach somebody that we've probably heard of before i I don't think they're going to take a swing you know like a like a swing out of nowhere i think i think it'll be someone with I, i i mean this is a program that historically is has like guys with nhl ties yep has like guys with with some name recognition in the market um, I, yeah, I, I think it'll be someone with a resume. I, I don't think they're going to take a flyer on a younger guy. I mean, they have a, they have a guy with WHL head coaching experience in Adam, Adam Maglio as their associate coach, mm. but you know, I, and, and they, and you know, they're, they're, they're just going to look and see who's out there. So I, I'm, and I was, I've been told that they're getting calls on the daily from mm. legit, you know, people with, People were that that are they're interested in. So I know that they, they think very highly of Adam as well. So I, I, that could be an option, maybe. But I, I think they're going to see where things are at. Well, James Patrick's name you mentioned, I certainly thought of that right away as well after his uh, tenure with uh, the the Winnipeg Ice. Now the Wenatchee Wild came to an end, uh, and I, I wondered about Steve Konowalczyk. I'm not sure exactly why it ended for him in Red Deer. Why he walked away? I don't know if that was if that means that he's taking time away completely or if he just needed something different. But he's a guy that would also, at least judging by resume, might fit the bill to, in regards to what you're talking about. You know, name recognition and all the things that the Giants tend to like. So Yeah. And that's not a name that's come through so far, but I, I think I think things are changing, you know, pretty much on the daily here as far as names coming through and people contacting. Because I, I don't think it was something that was – uh, in the works for a while, so there, so there wasn't a huge lead up for it. Okay. Well, and uh, I guess the most recent after that news would be the CHL import draft. The uh, the Giants, of course, they have Samuel Honzek, who was uh, drafted by the Calgary Flames. He's expected to be back, and uh, they also went out and grabbed 
a, a, a little check forward. Uh, what do we know about uh, Adam Tillback? Say that he's, uh, according to the Giants, he's slick, he's skilled, uh, offensive guy. He is from the Jerry, uh, he's represented by Jerry, Jerry Johansson. Okay. Who represents several of the Giants, several past Giants, uh, represents Honzik. So the, you know, the, the feel is that he is coming <laughs> and, and they're confident there's Scott Bonner, who's the former Giants GM also works for Jerry. So there's, there's some real strong ties with that group. So, right. uh, they're excited. They're, I, I Hansik had to be I, I Hansik had to be better than, than even people thought he was, so I, I think they're excited to see what what you know this kid's about. Having Hansik go in the first round like that, what does that do for not just for the Giants organization, but for, maybe for I don't know prestige sort of recognition like that? It, I mean, it's always great when you have a first round pick, isn't it? It's got to be. I, I think so many. I think I you know like I I've never, I think many people watch the draft as watch the Stanley Cup final. Hmm. And and to have a guy walk across the stage and, and have your team name flashed up as so and so from the Vancouver Giants, I I don't know what you know the 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 accurate advertising dollar would equate to, hmm. but I, I think it, I think it's a pretty good statement. I think it says something that that you're doing things right and that you're developing players and that you know you're 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 really moving guys forward. I think it's much. Much like Michael Dick going on to pro, I think it's something that, that looks good on the organization. Jaden Lipinski also drafted, also by the Calgary Flames. It's a nice one-two punch connection there between uh, NHL rivals, I guess, NHL rival cities in Vancouver and Calgary, but uh, a couple of teammates in Vancouver drafted by the same NHL organization. That's that's pretty cool. Calgary, uh, Cal- One of Calgary's lead, lead scouts is a guy named Rob, Rob Sumner, the former Seattle coach, who lives just across the board, just across the Washington State. So he is he frequents Giants games, so he they would have really good intel on both those guys. They would have seen them both a lot. So it's it's I think it's they're both thrilled because they know that they're going to get they've got a instant buddy when it comes to to flames flame stuff, right? <laughs> and you know and guys to talk to and you know go you know going through a similar situation. So Lipinski improved by leaps and bounds last year, and be fascinating to see if if he can make a similar type jump like the similar. As as you know, improve as much as he did a year ago this this time around. Uh, was there a a draft eligible player from the Giants who was not selected that you were a little bit surprised uh, about? I thought Mazden Leslie. Just, yes, I, I think his numbers were so strong that I, I thought he someone would take a flyer on him. I know he went through stretches last year where he was a little loose with the puck in his own zone and and maybe not as. Um, his attention to detail defensively wasn't where people would want it. Uh, I I think I'm I'm you know talking about fascinating and, and things to look for next year. Whether he whether he can use that for fuel to get better, I, I think is something that that I'll be really kind of zoned in on. Yeah, Leslie was one of them for me. I, I thought Ty Halliburton was uh, on the radar for for the draft think, as well. I think I think Ty is in an interesting spot because is he. Is he really a top six guy, or is he a bottom? I think, I think the the identity piece is, is where maybe people were, were were trying to figure out. I again another guy that that if he uses that the right way, I think the Vancouver Giants fans would be very happy. Okay, well, hey, if anything else, it's going to be a, a lot of fuel to the fire for both of those guys this coming season. Having some a little extra motivation uh, might work out yeah. pretty well for the team as well to have those two guys fired up even more. Yeah, I, 
Halliburton does does you know does a lot of things right. I, I think he's a very good two way guy. I just I don't you know I, I I can that was the that was the take that that I was getting back from people was that they weren't sure where he fit. So I think that's going to be something that that you know to watch for moving forward. Steve Ewan from the Vancouver Province uh, is my guest here on the Pipeline Show as we're uh, looking at the uh, well at the Giants, but we'll expand a little bit uh, with the uh, WHL uh, getting a a new team in the Western Conference. That will be the Wenatchee Wild, who move from the uh, Winnipeg market. Uh, what does that do for the Eastern Conference? What's your immediate reaction to uh, a Was franchise it the in or the Western Conference? That I misspeak. You said you said East. I, I um. What does it do for the uh, Western Conference? I think it. May, you know, I think it adds, you know, obviously some some interesting dynamics to that U.S. division. <laughs> I think having a team in the middle of the state again, um, I think they're they've loaded up the last couple of years. You wonder where they're going to be. Uh, of course, with Zach Benson there, they're they're kind of a must see team. I, I think he's a guy that, assuming he's back, is is going to be worth your ticket. Um, I, I think it's, it plays with some, some dynamics as far as scheduling. I, yeah, I think Vancouver lost two games, you know, has two less games against Victoria and, and one less against Kamloops and Kelowna without looking at it right now. So you've got another team to play. It's another different group. So I, I, I think there's lots to kind of look at there. I, I, I think it's, was a very good BC Hockey League city. Uh, I think the fans are very good there. Uh, we'll see what it, you know, whether, you know, do they start a rivalry with, you know, Everett because of, because of Kevin Constantine is it Tri City. Where's their, where's their kind of first natural rival. So there's lots to, lots to unpack. Well, I'm wondering what their direction is for the, uh, for the first season because their cupboards are bare in terms of draft picks for the next three years. I think they're all in Vancouver. Yeah. They've got a lot of drafted players on their team though. Uh, you know, you mentioned Zach Benson, Connor Geeky, uh, Matthew Savoy, Graham Sward. They're all eligible to come back again. Mason Bopit in net and he's their backup goalie. So this yeah. is a team, at least on paper, who could potentially do pretty well this season if that's the direction that the team wants to go. Uh, or the organization wants to go in in year one in Wenatchee, or do they start selling pieces to try to recoup all those draft picks? I think that's always yeah, again. I think with the Kamloops in Seattle, like I think you look around and you wonder which you know of the teams that were making runs the last couple of years is is there one that says you know what we're just gonna we're gonna take a step back this year and we're gonna send out send out some of our drafted nineteen uh, year old guys. I, I think there's. I, to me, Vancouver is a team that if they could use a high-end 19-year-old guy to play with the the, the Hansigs and Lipinskis and, and Leslies, and you know what what are they willing to pay for it? You, they, they've stock, stockpiled some draft capital. Can can they go get somebody from a Wenatchee or or a, a Kamloops or a Seattle? So, I I'm I'm sure those trades are being talked about behind the scenes. Uh, Steve, uh, you mentioned uh, Wenatchee was a really good BCHL team. Uh, we should talk about that and what the the direction that the BCHL has decided to go here. Completely independent now, no connection to Hockey Canada or uh, or the Canadian Junior Hockey League. How does that change the landscape of hockey in the province? It's fascinating. I did. To, uh, I think I was surprised when they pulled out of the Canadian Junior Hockey League, which was the Hockey Canada group that oversaw Junior A. 
ran things like the Centennial Cup and the and the World Junior A Challenge and the Top Prospects game. I didn't. I, I thought that would hurt them. It didn't seem to. They they they've continued to recruit. They've continued to get players from all over. And now you you add this further wrinkle, and and they're they're completely separate. They're completely on their own. Uh, Hockey Canada has has made it clear that if you referee, if you want to referee Hockey Canada, you can't referee BC Hockey League. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so up, in, I think it's September 30th is the deadline, and they've said, you know, if you go to to the BCHL after September 30th, be it a player, a coach, a referee, you are void for a year of doing anything, you know, under the Hockey Canada banner. So. I, I don't know if they're going to walk that back. I, I don't know how you. I don't know how they're going to find enough referees, enough quality referees. Like that's a great question. I don't know what you it, the. You don't have a feeder system now. There 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 are no there are no call ups. There are no affiliate players. So do you, you know they they've talked about carrying twenty five guys. Well, you know how are you going to handle you know twenty five guys? I mean it it, it affects things much simpler than that even i think in the past we've seen uh players from junior a teams go out to a minor hockey practice to kind of you know rally the troops and push some pucks around they can't do that anymore because they're not under hockey can insurance hmm. so it, it's it kind of become a little bit of the wild wild west out here when it comes to the bchl and where they're going and what they're doing and how everybody else reacts to them and there's a spinoff effect here for the WHL as well. You mentioned a feeder system for the BCHL, and they don't they might expand their rosters. Well, the WHL doesn't have places to send their guys who have you know that can kind of go back and forth. There are a lot of teams who will use the Junior A uh, to move yeah. players back and forth. That's not an option now, at least in BC. Well, yeah, I mean, where it gets interesting is, is uh, BC Hockey's talking about starting up another Junior A league, right? And can they start that up in time for September? Uh, I know the junior B leagues are really pushing to be promoted. I think there's talk of doing some sort of gradual, you know, um, tiered push and maybe, uh, you know, you've got deadlines to meet certain requirements and, you know, there could be a relegation kind of situation from year to year. So I I think they're still working. I think they, I think that hockey, the way BC Hockey has sold this is that this is an opportunity to, to rethink the way we do junior A in this province, and they're 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 going to try and take full advantage of it and, and get as much done as they can. The second BC or junior A league that you're talking about would that be a, a sort of a combination between the uh, Interior League and the uh, Vancouver Island League? And, and I've heard all I've heard could be a three division combination of all three. I've heard of various. Various ramifications, you know, depending on who wants to go and who they think is suitable to move up, and and you know, will will you will it be a gradual move up? Will you have to? Uh, that's the way it's been explained to me. Is you know, you'll have to hit certain benchmarks to get to the next step and get to the next step and hmm. continue along. So they 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 are. I I've been told they've been meeting regularly. <laughs> there's lots to be decided. I know that the junior B leagues would like that push to be instant. I don't know if it's going to be that. Steve, what else is going on here uh, in the summer months, the off season, the quote unquote off season? Uh, it seems like the, it never ends. But anything else uh, on your radar right now that you're following? Nothing major. I, I just uh, obviously the coach situation and 
to see what Vancouver does with their roster. And um, I, I, the BC Hockey League is, is fascinating to me as well. I mean, where do they, where are they going? They're, they've started to bring in Europeans. They're starting mm-hmm. to, you know, talk about more, you know, uh, bringing in Americans. I, I, you know, are they still the league to look to for NCAA teams? Are they still going to send team players here or kind of steer them here? Uh, I, yeah, there's, it, it's been busy. There's been a lot going on. So uh, there's been talk of the Vancouver Canucks buying the Chilliwack Chiefs, which is something that that's been at play. I know they've been negotiating. Um, see what that means. I, I you know, the, the Canucks have been shown interest in having control of arenas, and and the Chilliwack Chiefs currently have control of the Chilliwack Coliseum until 2029. Right. <laughs> so that you know, it's there's a arena play, there's a land play involved in anything that, that would happen there. So I've been told they're negotiated. I've, I've heard different versions on how close they are, but we'll see where that goes too. Interesting. Well, lots to keep an eye on. Steve, I really appreciate you making time uh, for, for this. I appreciate it. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you probably in the, in during the season. Thanks so much. That was Steve Ewan from the Vancouver province. And I uh, had that conversation with him. As a matter of fact, I spoke with him last week. It was about a week ago now, about eight, nine days ago, actually. Didn't end up having a show last week because uh, well, my next guest was supposed to, was hopefully going to join me last week, but we had to put it off until this week. So ended up not doing a show last week and uh, adding it to this week. Anyway, because Steve said he thought it would be about 10 days, uh, that's about where we're at now. So maybe we'll get some news on the Vancouver Giants and their head coaching situation here any moment. As of uh, the time I'm recording this, which is Friday afternoon, no news in regards to the new coach for the Vancouver Giants. So we'll see what happens there. The Giants, though, did sign their a new import pick. He's going to play at the Holinka Gretzky Cup next week as well. And that's what's happened since that uh, chat I had with Steve Ewan. Always great to catch up with Steve. Follow his work at the Vancouver province. You can find him on Twitter as well. All right, next up the new commissioner and president of the United States Hockey League, that is Glenn Hefferin. We have lots to talk about. You're listening to the Pipeline Show, the Season 18 finale, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Yorkstrand hustles after it. Gabrikov off the point! Sillinger, his first in the National Hockey League! Hey, it's Paul Sillinger, the two Paul Stampede, and this is the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious man. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can get it throughout Western Canada by going to their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com. All right, big news in the United States Hockey League uh, over the last month or so is 
mid-June, it was announced that the new president and commissioner, it's a two-title job, is uh, going to Glenn Heffern, and he is on the Pipeline Show now. Glenn, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm well, Guy. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you making time like this in the summer. I know you got a really busy schedule uh, here in the off season as you're uh, getting to know the league. First off, I wanted to ask you, president and commissioner, are they actually two separate jobs? Do you wear two hats? Well, it's, it's a combined title, and I guess there are some functionalities that are president related, you know, to the business of the organization, and then commissioner related to the functionality of teams and discipline and you know, hockey operations. So there's, it's just a distinction in function, I guess. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. I wasn't sure. I know your, your counterpart in the North American Hockey League, Mark Frankenfeld, also shares uh, titles. Uh, Same title. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't ask him, but I wanted to uh, ask you that, that question. All right. This summer, you've got lots on your plate. I know you were just telling me you got a really busy schedule here right away as you're uh, getting into the job. Uh, tell me what uh, you're doing here in the next few, few weeks. So we got a lot of site visits. Um, you know, it's kind of a servant leadership approach. It's a lot of listening early on and then piecing together all of the conversations from the, you know, the hockey staff and business staff of each of our organizations and then finding out where the league can best support their needs. And that's kind of the approach I've been taking. I, I've already had our, you know, a couple of meetings with our staff uh, in person, actually. And, and so that's been terrific that we have an awesome staff and i'm so honored and humbled to work with them uh they're just uh, an amazing cadre of people and and uh really fortunate to step into the role with uh with those with those folks in the positions they're in you're taking the job from bill robertson who uh, left after a couple of years i know he had announced uh, it seems like a long time ago that he was stepping down or or not uh, going to continue on in the role when did you become involved in the process? And, and I wonder how long of a process it was for the USHL to do all their due diligence and settle on you as the right fit for, for the league. It, it was, um, it's a, it was an interesting journey for me because I, you know, I've been involved in amateur hockey uh, all of my adult life. And um, I had been, you know, I've been serving as the affiliate president for the Atlantic affiliate, which is the New Jersey, Eastern PA, Delaware arm of, USA hockey for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do some consulting and involved in various real estate initiatives and projects. And somebody had approached me around this time uh, last summer and who's some 30 year colleague of mine and asked me to help him secure the purchase of a USHL team and got that underway. And they were able to close on that in December. And, and then another owner had reached out to, to help them with a, a project. And the next thing I know, I kind of got a couple of phone calls and said, and I do know several of the owners in the league for, for some time um, back to as far as 1997. Hmm. Uh, I've known Brian Schoenborn for that long. Um, and so the, the, you know, the suggestion came in and I said, I, I got a pretty simple life. I, I'm not so sure. I really I want to complicate things. You know, my, my kids are all grown up and, you know, so just not looking for that, that role initially. And then I had a few other phone calls and thought, you know what, maybe this is the right time. And uh, started into the interview process sometime in, in probably, I guess, mid-March. And it was pretty exhausted. It, you know, they, I had to go through some tests and, you know, it was, it was, it was a really interesting process that they put us through. They had a subcommittee and um, I, I enjoyed this thoroughly. You know, when you when you're not routinely interviewing, and I don't, um, 
I've had my own business, you know, most of my life. And so it was kind of interesting to have to go through that again and, and prep. And I did a lot of prep. And so um, it's great process. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every bit of it and uh, got noticed in early June that um, they were offering me the job. And, you know, it's probably the worst kept secret, but <laughs> it was fine. We got through it and um, came to terms and started on July 1, which was, happens to be my birthday. Oh, well, that's interesting. also my wife's birthday and Canada's birthday, too. So look and at that. Can- I get it every year from all my Canadian friends. Yeah, you got <laughs> so it's great. I tell my wife she gets fireworks on her birthday every year. <laughs> that's great. That's nice. great. Uh, so I'm looking at your background in the USHL's press release and lots of grassroots sort of experience uh, around the sport. A lot of it seems to be growing the game at a grassroots level. Is is that fair to describe it that way? It, well, I, I obviously, you know, it depends on what you define as growing. Um I was elected president of the AMHL um, back in 93. And that had two divisions, the Metropolitan Junior Hockey League, which had, which had been the longest, oldest operating junior league in the country for some time. Uh, it was actually started by Emil Francis. And the, the other side of the house was the Atlantic Youth Hockey League, which is a tier one, uh, a tier one league. And when I took over, there were only four junior teams in the league. USA Hockey had gone through an age change and it kind of shifted uh, players back into the youth category and out of junior. And so we began to grow the junior program again and um, eventually got the Met League to about 40 teams and then a secondary division um, called the Atlantic Junior Hockey League, which was to kind of be the junior A model and hopefully, you know, close to that level of play. Uh, although tuition based you now for players that didn't want to leave home. Um, but early on in that career, um, I was taken under the wing by Dave Tyler, who was the commissioner of the USHL at the time and vice president at, at USA hockey. Mm-hmm. And Dave really took me under his wing. And uh, I learned a lot. He got on board with a, a task force called the super league task force, which was a, a group designed to try to build what is now known as tier one. So that started back in like 90, I believe that was 96. And so um, just a lot of, a lot of national involvement early on. And believe me, like I, as I said, my trajectory of my life was not, I was working on wall street and, you know, in other places. And, and this was not really in the horizon in my mind to have it as a career, but it quickly changed. Uh, I started the Bismarck Bobcats. Uh, which is now in the North American League in 97. So it's it's just been, you know, if you want to talk about growth, you know, that's growing junior hockey is part of the deal. Well, it certainly sounds that way to me. And I know with just the the NHL growth in the United States and, and specifically into areas that we don't consider traditional hockey markets, whether it's Vegas or Arizona or Florida or Carolina, et cetera, uh, it seems sure. like the popularity of the sport's growing uh, throughout your country as, as well. And it seems the USHL is benefiting a lot from that. We see a lot of players from those types of markets now uh, flooding the league. Uh, and uh, that just makes the league better, doesn't it? It, it does. I mean, I, we're, we're thrilled about this year's draft success. There were 51 players drafted, 39 of them directly, you know, which was more than any other junior league in the world. And um, something that we're really proud of. And obviously, we feed a lot of players, probably the overwhelming majority, to um, to college, Division One college hockey, and 
you know, that was something that I had recognized early on. My my first trip out to the USHL, I toured um, with Dave. Uh, my first city was Waterloo in the old McElroy building, which they had 5,200 people and um, before they had moved into Young Arena and then on to Des Moines and then Omaha. And it was just an unbelievable experience. And it was that moment that I realized the best way that we could help our players if they were willing was to get them to the USHL. And that's exactly what we did. We were a voice of, of promoting the USHL on the East coast. And, uh, you know, we brought early on, we brought players out there like Mark Eaton and Rob Scuderi and Chris Zarella, who coaches now. And he was a, you know, a pretty well-known alum of Quinnipiac. And, you know, so it, it, we've had a longstanding relationship uh, with that league for a long time and, you know, almost all of their commissioners since Dave Tyler. Um, so it's, you know, the, the relationship is strong and, and I have always been a believer in what that league, uh, what the USHL has been doing. Glenn Hefferman's my guest. He's a uh, new president and commissioner of the United States Hockey League. Because you weren't directly working with the USHL and you were talking about how you're making a, you're going from team to team, kind of getting to know everybody. Uh, do you feel like there's going to be a, a learning curve early on, for lack of a better term, where it might take you one or two months before the season starts, really, uh, to kind of get up to speed? Well, I think league leadership um, and league functionality uh, is fairly similar. And a lot of the experiences I've had, it's obviously there are definitely differences um, from where I've been in the past to now. And so there is a little bit of, uh, as I like to say, drinking from the fire hose. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're doing some of that for sure. And, and that's okay. Uh, you know, I, I don't mind. Uh, I, I'm a, I have a fierce work ethic. I, you know, I, I'm, always, I'm always working. And sometimes I have to be reminded to take a pause. And so, um, uh, and usually my wife is really good about that, reminding me, hey, it's time for a few hours off. But uh I'm enjoying this. Uh, I'm enjoying the pace. It's It's been tremendous. And you know what? Uh, we have an unbelievable league of coaches and general managers, team presidents and owners. And I'm really fortunate that they are, bit, every one of them have been so helpful and so gracious and trying to, you know, you know, you don't necessarily have an onboarding process, right? In this, in this position. And um, they're really substituted that and providing me with good counsel. And, and obviously I lean on others, you know, throughout the industry have some good relationships in the NHL and, and with, with individual uh, NHL teams. So I, I, I've been really fortunate in that regard. And, and obviously, uh, you know, I can't say enough about Doug Christensen who left to take over the ECAC and, and Billy Robb, who both of them were just incredibly gracious and, and helpful in the transition. So like I couldn't have asked for, um, you know, a better set of relationships to, to form and, and, and help bring me through uh, up through, you know, July 1. And Billy Rob and I have been in touch as, as well as Doug afterwards. So it's, it's, been, it's been really good. Well, you were telling me priority one is to sort of listen and get, get to, to know the league uh, a lot better and, uh, and, and uh, maybe understand what some of the issues are. Not that there's big problems or anything like that. I don't want to describe it like that. But um, I imagine there are also some things or ideas that you have uh, to, to take the league to another level. Are you able to touch on any of those just yet? Yeah, I mean, I, I've presented to the ownership some of the things that I'd like to do within the first 90, the first 365. Um, some of that is a, a rookie orientation program. Um, you know, we've got some 
uh, I, I would categorize it as television and broadcast initiatives that we're working on in, in conjunction with the NHL and um, just some other communications things that we're doing from the hockey side of it. We've got some of the best players in the world. We've got some of the best coaches in the world. The hockey side of it is in really good hands. There's always room for improvement. There's always a team or two that needs some help and some guidance on things. That's, that's normal in any, any league. I mean, the NHL has, has that issue, you know, from, from time to time. So um, that, that part of it is, you know, I, I think is in really good hands. Uh, and then we'll, we'll monitor that. So mine is more in the business broadcast communication focus at the moment. And, uh, but we have a, a new scorecard system um, that will be implemented that the owners approve that, you know, they're all going to be evaluated on that scorecard and making sure that they're living to the standards that they all, you know, agree to and in partnership with uh, USA Hockey to make sure that, that uh, we are doing that as well as with the NHL. The North American Hockey League, up to 32 teams for this coming season. That's uh, a lot of expansion there. Uh, the USHL still at 16 teams, including the National Development Program. Anything changing in the short term in that regard? Well, not the, not not obviously not for this year. That will will remain at 16, but we do have some significant ongoing discussions with a couple of different uh, uh, entities that that have expressed strong interest and are bringing some interesting proposals to you know to the table, which we're thrilled with. Um, and, and happy to you know do that due diligence with them. So from that standpoint, um, you know, and a, we're we're, pr- we're pretty stable uh, with the team count for this year, and then obviously uh, you know next year it could it certainly could be different. Without mentioning where those uh, markets are, are they within the current footprint of the USHL, or are you expanding outwards, uh, whether it's west or east or, or south or, or wherever you're you're going? Can the league uh, grow bigger geographically? Or do you need to keep it uh, uh, geographically the same size because you're you're bussing uh, from town to town? All, all I can tell you is that uh, the teams will be located in the United States. <laughs> hey, thanks for narrowing that down. <laughs> and, and and to that end, the the league has adopted what uh, will be will be adopting a new uh, air travel policy, so um, it won't it won't be exclusively by bus. So oh, that's interesting. That is, is is a new change for this for this year and and so um yeah there there are certainly occasions when air travel could be actually more cost effective so we certainly want to be able to allow our teams to do that when that's the case and then provide for discretionary air travel but we haven't you know we haven't uh finalized that proposal that would probably happen in the coming uh couple of weeks Next up on the schedule for actual hockey games, uh, it would be, well, camps open, and then you get going uh, with the Fall Classic in September out in uh, the Pittsburgh area, right? Yes. Uh, added a day to that to make the schedule a little bit more manageable, so it begins Wednesday. Um, so the matchups will, will start that way, and, and uh, it just makes for a more manageable schedule. And, um, and I, think that'll be, I think that'll be a desire of the scouts as well. Um, so that they, you know, that they can take it all in and, and not have the frantic pace of so many games crammed into a, a shorter period. So that I think is positive, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. This is this will actually be the first time I go to the Fall Classic. Mm-hmm. So um, even even in my travels and you know with other stuff that I do in, in USA Hockey, I've never attended it. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions, uh, but I guess it's become such a showcase event for the USHL and how important it is 
for college recruiters. I mean, it just seems to benefit everybody. You mentioned the scouts too. Uh, to get all the teams under one uh, one big building like that, uh, that's huge for the league. Oh, it's it's tremendous, and it's a great opportunity for players that aspire to play in the USHL that they get to see what that level of play. Um, you know, several years back, I was responsible. Um, along with a couple of key people, while Skip Prince was the commissioner, Skip's a dear friend, um, and we put together for two years running what was called the USHL Challenge, the USHL Atlantic Challenge, where we brought six USHL teams the first year, and I think it was four the second year, um, out into the, the New York, New Jersey area, and we wrapped a youth event around it, and you know, the feedback was, was phenomenal. Um, and, you know, costs always weigh into this, and we were fortunate those two years to have a sponsor for it, um, and, and uh, that's, that sponsorship went away, but it was, it was definitely a worthy thing, and, and PK, was, P.K. O'Hanlon was coaching Waterloo at the time, and, and I'll never forget a comment that he made because it stays with me to this day. He said, if you think our players are good now, and he was addressing a room full of players and parents that – you know, had questions. And he said, if you think our players are good now, wait till you see them in February and March. And that comment stuck with me because I knew exactly what he meant. And he's right. Our our players just get stronger and better, you know, and, and that should be the case. It's kind of, but he, he didn't, never heard it in that context before. So it was interesting for me. Um, and he's right. Uh, the, the, the league has done an unbelievable job. And and advancing its players and, and, and just helping them become the very best versions of themselves. So I just thought that was such a great quote. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's what you would hope for with a developmental league that the players get that much better, for sure, no question. Um, lastly, uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are with uh, the situation with the British Columbia Hockey League, uh, but they've sure. recently left uh, Hockey Canada. They've gone completely independent. I know their hope at some point is, or at least it opens the door to potentially uh, some uh, competition with your league in term on the ice. I mean, like uh, being able to play some games. Is that something that you've uh, considered or thought about or talked about? Is there an interest level in doing that? Well, we actually had a, a nice call with them about a week ago um, with, with uh, Stephen Cocker and, and uh, Chris Hebb. Great mm-hmm. super guys that really we really appreciated the time with them, had a nice conversation. And I understand their issues. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've butted heads with USA Hockey plenty of times. And just ask anybody that's there now, they, they know I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a church mouse. I'm going to speak up when I, I disagree, but I'm also going to laud USA Hockey, you know, when they do well, which is often. Um, USA Hockey does an amazing job. But I, I, I commented them about what a great job they did in their explainer video because they they weren't trying to purport themselves to be something that they aren't. Um, I think they fairly portrayed what they were doing and and the success that they've had. And what I reminded them was, well, you may not agree with how Hockey Canada has handled things uh, for whatever reason. Um, All of the success you've had occurred while you were there. And I encourage them to try to find a pathway back and uh, and I hope they do right? because I do. We are stronger together when we are under our federations. Um, th- there's no reason. You know, everybody kind of wants to. They think you know. They think the grass is greener, and the reality is it's just as hard, if not harder, to mow. And and, and I you know it, it's easy to pick a fight and and 
and say, ah, we're, we're, it's irreconcilable. It's always reconcilable. It just takes time and you, you have to work at it. And it's like anything else in, in relationships. As I said, I, I have been in vehement disagreement with some things at USA Hockey as a board member, as a member of their executive committee in the past. And I, I think they absolutely respect disagreement. And, um, you know, but sometimes when the curtain goes up, then you have to walk out arm in arm. So I really hope they find their way back. Um, it, it's it's not an easy place to be when you're, you know, uh, when when you're, not part of that federation. And so I think if you look back to some of um, some of the history in, in the United States with with leagues that have broken away, um, they're, they're not the same. Some of them have disappeared and, you know, some of them are not the same quality that they've been um, when they were part of, of USA Hockey. So I, I, I think you try to find a way back and and I hope Hockey Canada um, will make it a point to uh, – to welcome them back. Well, very interesting. That's, I appreciate your take on that. So does that preclude then we won't see Youngstown taking on Penticton, that sort of thing, the Clark Cup champ uh, against the BCHL champ, even just a, as a friendly exhibition? No, not not likely because they're they're not under the federation. So we would not we would be precluded from from playing a non federation team. Okay, um, that's just that's just part of the that's just part of the deal. Um, you know, I, I think with Hockey Canada's new leader, Catherine Henderson, you know, she's, you know, reported to be a really dynamic leader. And, and I understand there some folks in their league do have a relationship with her. And, and I'm really hopeful that they get to some productive discussions that bring them back. And, you know, and, and as far as, you know, cross play, you know, maybe the, maybe there should be a challenge to the Memorial Cup. I don't know. That, 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 that kind of has a nice ring to it. Could you do that? I mean, you're, the players in the CHL can't play in the NCAA and playing against Correct. them. Would that not muddy the waters for your guys? We would need to get a waiver from the NCAA, a yeah. one-time waiver, but they they might be willing to do that. Okay, interesting. And I'm only mentioning that because some folks in my league have mentioned it, so I, I figure why not? Well, it seems like it would be a much easier thing, less paperwork or red tape, to do it with the CJHL, which is Tier 1 Junior A in Canada. I mean, they're also pushing players to the NCAA, so it seems like it would be fairly simple. Of course, you have the World Junior A Challenge, which – Team USA is basically a USHL all-star team, and there are two entries from Canada, all from uh, the junior A-leagues in Canada. It seems like that's more the equal status, I guess. For I'm not sure if that's the right term, but the CHL is a little bit different in terms of uh, the way the NCAA views them. Well, that 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 is in part true. I think, you know, when you look at, um, you know, the, the USHL is 16 teams strong, the CHL is 60 teams um i think every the all three leagues have more teams in them than the ushl mm-hmm. but on an individual comparative basis and you consider the the landscape that they're covering uh i think the ushl has proved its bona fides you know um that it belongs on that on that stage in terms of caliber of play i mean 51 draft picks isn't you know isn't a light number and obviously it's advancement it's the number one league to advance from um, to college hockey, which I think is a, to division one college hockey, which I think is important. You know, it's funny. I post a, I do this as a hobby. I, I, I create an annual report. It's the division one freshman report. Mm-hmm. I do it every year. If you go through my Twitter feed, you'll find it. If you want it, I'll be happy to email it to you. Absolutely. Um, and it, it breaks down the demographics 
of the Division I college freshman class. And I do it through all kinds of metrics, games played, points, um, you know, point production, uh, birth, month, and year, a state that they hailed from, affiliate. Like, I break it down in a lot of different ways. And obviously, the last league they played in, and, and the USHL members are staggering um, in, in terms of the, it being the finishing school. Um, and in most cases, the, the, the location where the player earned the commitment. And, and I only know that this was the first year I actually did the commit report. And a couple of people challenged me after they saw the college freshman report. And they said, oh, you're just, cause you're just looking to shill for junior hockey. And you should talk about where those kids play when they get their commitment. I said, okay, it's actually a good idea. But I didn't quite think that the numbers shifted all that dynamically. And out of the commits that I had reviewed, um, and I took the commits from August 1 through February 26th, of the commits I reviewed, 500-something of them, um, and of the ones that were from the U.S., like 75% of them were playing in the USHL. Okay. So, as I said, I, for, for, and I'm a data nut. I love the data. I love the facts and figures and numbers. And that tells a story. It doesn't tell the whole story, but it tells a really important part of it. And, and right now, in every way you can measure, if you want to start adding up scholarship dollars to NHL dollars. In fact, here's a little less known fact and probably not exploited enough by us is that the USHL this past year had 80 players in the National Hockey League that were undrafted, which was almost the same amount as the three major junior leagues collectively. So I think they collectively had 85 and the USHL had 80. So you know, I'm not I'm not looking to start a border war, but, uh, you know, friendly competition. And I, I certainly think when you look at from a facts and figures standpoint, USHL right now is the number one link to plan. That's interesting. When it, I know when it comes to college commitments, I thought the North American Hockey League was actually putting more players into Division One, but I assume that was just surely by having twice the number of teams. Uh, you're saying that might not be the case? No, actually, um, so the, the NAHL, if you can look at the numbers by Division One freshmen, the NH, NAHL actually does a really good job at seeing their players get to the USHL and then they advance from there, um, no question. But they do have a lot of directs, and they're usually neck and neck with the BCHL, numerically speaking. So, and, and when I send you the report, you'll – You'll be able to validate it. You'll see it. I have the data all in there to back it up. Yeah, that'd be great. I, so, please, please do send it to me. I do follow you on the Twitter, uh, the old Twitter machine, I guess, whatever they're calling it this week. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I'd be interested to in seeing that, and I guess there could be a case where uh, a guy that is uh, USHL uh, would fall into the USHL uh, category also play in the North American Hockey League. Maybe a guy who had played in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. So you kind of share uh, a player. Uh, in that regard, too, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, when you look at it from a finishing school standpoint, it's, you know, the USHL obviously leads that, that race far and away than any other league in the world. That's fine. But at the end of the day, all these kids start out as little mites in our youth associations mm-hmm. and help build that dream when they're little kids. And that's something important not to lose sight of. Every single entity in amateur hockey plays a role in the development of a player and not just in what they become as players, 
what they become as people, because that's actually more important. Glenn, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate uh, getting a chance to chat with you. I hope you don't mind if uh, I call you again. Anytime. It's been my pleasure, Kate. Glenn Hefferin, the, the new boss of the United States Hockey League. Uh, thanks to uh, the league for making him available, and thanks to uh, Glenn himself for coming on the show. Lots to digest from that uh, conversation. Really interested to hear his thoughts on uh, the BCHL situation and how he'd really like to see them get back to Hockey Canada. And he made it pretty clear, doesn't really have an interest in playing the Centennial Cup champ, would much rather play the Memorial Cup champ, and he bases that on uh, the strength of the USHL's uh, draft record the last number of years, which we've had this conversation many times. It all depends on how you look at the numbers. Most people look at the NHL draft uh, with the USHL and separate the U.S. National Development Program from those numbers because they play less than half of their draft season in the USHL. If you don't know what I mean, for example, I'll just pull up Will Smith, who was taken fourth overall, played 60 games this year for the National Development Program. Only 20 of them were in the USHL. 20 games. He played more USHL games as a member of the U-17 squad. And that's how it is every year. So most people separate the National Development Program from the USHL uh, when it comes to the draft. And then, of course, there's players like Adam Fantilli, who, yes, played in the USHL at one point, but this year taken out of the NCAA. And I also use the example of Adam Guyon, who spent the entire season in the North American Hockey League, except for six games that he played in the USHL with Green Bay. Well, of course, the USHL is going to include him in their numbers as well because it inflates their numbers. This isn't a USHL-specific uh, gripe that I have. The AJHL will do it. I'm sure the AJHL, the WHL, and the USHL all claim Matthew Savoy because he played in all three leagues at different times. To me, what I would do is I would use wherever a guy played at least 50% of his games during his NHL draft season. That's what I would do. It, it would make it a little bit more understandable, I think. Uh, you look, fifty. the USHL claims... 51 players taken in the 2023 NHL draft, including six in the first round. Well, except four of those six were with the National Development Program, and two of them were playing in the NCAA. So they're USHL alums, basically, but it really skews things. The next player taken in the draft is Gavin Bridley, also from Michigan. So there's another college guy, and then it's Adam Guyon, who I just talked about. So the first eight players who had some sort of tie to the USHL didn't play the majority of their games in the USHL this past season. The first full-time USHLer was Michael Rabel, who was taken 38th. And then you've got Max Strebeck from the Sioux Falls Stampede at 45. There's a few other national development players in there. Martin Misiak coming in at number 55 for the Youngstown Phantoms. Of note, they include Grayson Souchin, who played for the Seattle Thunderbirds this past season. And Matthew Mania, who played in the CHL and the OHL with the Sudbury Wolves. So that's what I'm talking about. I've had an email exchange with Glenn since the uh, the conversation. He did send me the information that uh, he was talking about, the reports where guys are committing from and stuff like that. Really interesting stuff. And he does make a, a, a fair point. The North American Hockey League does put a lot of guys to the NCAA, but a lot of them, probably most of them, actually have a stop in the USHL and then go on to the NCAA. So just like my argument with that I'm making about the draft, kind of have to say they're USHL players before they get to the NCAA as opposed to the North American Hockey League. 
Of course, the uh, the Null is going to use those guys to beef up their numbers when it comes to college commitments. But it's it, it, it's interesting to dive into where they were playing when they committed to college. And I think that is in the reports that Glenn was talking about, but I haven't got to that yet. But getting back to the uh, the 51 players taken in the draft with ties to the USHL, 51 minus the NTDP players, which uh, was 14, takes you down to 37. Then you take out the guys who were in the NCAA this past year, Adam Fantilli, Charlie Strammel, Gavin Brindley, Sutter Mazzatti, and Luke Middlestad. That's five more. You're down to 32. And then take out the two CHL guys in uh, Grayson Souchin and Matthew Mania. You got an even 30 players, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. 30 players. And if you really wanted to dive into some of those numbers, I'm betting there are a bunch of high school guys, maybe not a bunch, but some high school players, or guys who are in the NAHL, like Guyan, who played 5, 10, 15 games in the USHL, that are also included in that 30. So it to me, it really inflates the numbers, but I understand why they do it. I just wish the USHL and every other league that does it, I wish they didn't do it. Now, Glenn also made it uh, pretty clear, uh, as I mentioned, he doesn't want to play the Centennial uh, Cup uh, winner. With this year would have been the Brooks Bandits. I, I tweeted out that what if we had a four-team, hypothetically, a four-team tournament, Memorial Cup style, where it's a round robin and then you kind of play off from there. Uh, featuring the Clark Cup champ, the Robertson Cup champ out of the Null, the BCHL champ, and uh, the Centennial Cup champ. So that would have been Youngstown, Oklahoma, Penticton, and Brooks. And I put it to a poll, and Brooks won the poll. I would have to think Youngstown would be the favorite with uh, either Penticton or Brooks next. And I would think the Oklahoma Warriors, whoever comes out of the Null, would be uh, the underdog in in an event like that but I thought I would include it just to make it four teams, and they do push a lot of players to the NCAA. But that's not what Glenn wants to do. He would like to play the Memorial Cup champ, which, again, I understand. He's trying to get his league to be considered on par with the Canadian Hockey League. The USHL is the top junior league in the United States, but it's a feeder to the college system, which in Canada, that's the CJHL. Now there are nine leagues in the CJHL. There's only the USHL in the States, so they draw across uh, all of the United States for their talent pool, which is obviously a huge advantage to the USHL, whereas in Canada it's provincially, and you have a lot of restrictions uh, for players going from province to province, which is part of the BCHL's uh, complaint and why they left. But if you took the nine leagues in the CJHL and uh, formed it all into one and cut it down to 18 teams, but still use the same talent pool, I think you'd have a pretty impressive uh, 16-17 team league. Now, take the realism of Canada's geography out of it. So you could have a team in Alberta playing a team in Ontario or Quebec or the Maritimes. Obviously, you can't do that. But if it was, say, a video game simulation, say, I think the CJHL would do pretty well. However, he would like to play the Memorial Cup champ, which I understand, but from the CHL's perspective, why? Why would they? They're already considered the top league. They have nothing to gain by doing that. In fact, I would think if you looked at it the other way, the way that Glenn considers the CJHL to be below the USHL, the CHL would consider the USHL to be below them. And I think most fans and pundits would agree. 
The pecking order would be the three CHL leagues, the USHL, and then the CJHL, and then all probably on par with the CJHL. If you disagree with my take, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter, as I mentioned, at TPS underscore Gee. Anyway, that's my uh, soapbox after that discussion. I really enjoyed the conversation with Glenn. Seems to me like a, a guy who has uh, a plan and some ideas, and I am intrigued to see uh, where he takes the league. We got one more segment to go in season 18. We're going to chat with Chris Peters from Flow Hockey, looking ahead to the Holinka Gretzky Cup, which starts on Monday. We'll look at Team USA and Team Canada, and we do it next. It's the season 18 finale episode, and it's brought to you, of course, by Willock Beef Jerky. Stutzler, back to Sider, across to Bach. Dominic Bach, great pass in for Stutzler, slides it back across, they score! Hello, this is Tim Stutzler from Mannheim, and this is the Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hey, everybody. An old man's talking. We are back on The Pipeline Show. One final segment to go in this week's episode in this season, as a matter of fact. Season 18, wrapping up this week. Take a couple of weeks off and then come back mid-August uh, for the start of season 19. And couldn't think of a better way to close things out with uh, the show closer here. The headliner, uh, Chris Peters from uh, Flow Hockey. Uh, <laughs> welcome back, Chris. How are things? Gee, uh, things are great. Uh, it's an honor to be the, the the closer here, just calling me in from the bullpen and and saying, let's send this season off right. So, uh, but yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a good timing uh, as the Holinka Gretzky Cup kicks off here on uh, Monday, and as we're chatting, it's a Thursday. So the teams, I'm sure, are already over there and probably getting in some last minute practices, maybe a game or two uh, to uh, fine tune things. Uh, let's talk about, well, specifically the two North American entries uh, with uh, Canada and the United States, and maybe we'll touch on some other guys as well. But uh, let's start with uh, the team from your country and the Americans. It's always interesting because the Holinka Gretzky Cup is usually dominated by Canada, whereas the World U18 usually dominated by the United States because neither country sends their entire best roster to both events. So it's, uh, it's interesting. This one's usually at Canada's tournament. Uh, but the Americans have uh, proven to be uh, a thorn in the side uh, every once in a while. We'll go back to the one that was up here. What was that? Uh, 20... 2018. 2018. Yeah, 2018. Yeah. Yeah, that was you an mean entertaining the game where they where they scored the goal, but they didn't actually score the goal. Yes, they did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where they got robbed. Uh, I would. I've been on record saying that. I know. I still talk to guys from that team who were. Uh... They've never forgotten it. No, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this yeah. year's uh, American squad. Uh, what do you make of the uh, the roster? Yeah, you know, I I think it's interesting. There's a lot of guys on the roster. Like last year, there weren't a ton of guys that had a lot of junior hockey experience on the roster. And this year, 
there's enough guys. I think there's 12 or so that at least played some USHL games. There's a, you know, there's OHL, AJHL players. They have guys that have junior experience, which I think is really important for this team because, you know, regardless of where you play, if you play at Shattuck St. Mary's, if you play Minnesota high school, if you play prep school, if you play uh, AAA U18, you know, the jump from that to the Holinka Gretzky cup is gigantic. Um, and it's, it's no, it's not to slight those other leagues. It's just that when you're going up against the players that you're going to go up against in, on team Canada or Sweden, but these are players that have been pl- mostly playing junior hockey in their home countries, and they're a little more experienced. They're a little bit stronger. They're a little bit quicker. So the game moves at a faster pace. So the U.S. team has always kind of had, you know, we, we, we know they're not sending the NTDP players. That takes a significant portion of their the best players from their pool, but it doesn't take everybody. So, you know, I think there's going to be some guys that this team is going to have to lean especially heavily on. Um, guys like Max Swanson and Trevor Connolly, who have had full USHL seasons that had success last year. Um, Will Felicio had one of the best U-17 seasons in terms of production for for uh, a defenseman in the USHL in, in history last year with uh, 28 points. So not a huge highly high bar to clear, but that's a guy that you have to rely on in, in, in big situations. Um, and, you know, I think that they've kind of got, uh, a team that doesn't necessarily have a ton of size, but that's where a guy like AJ Spalacy, who played for um, Windsor last year and got injured through part of the season, you know, guys like him who can bring size, who bring experience, like those guys are really going to help. So um, this is a team that's going to have to lean on its, on its uh, players with that junior experience. And then you have to hope that guys like Aiden Park, who played all year at Shattuck St. Mary's last year, um, you know, step up and, and can be a productive player at this level, as we saw William Whitelaw do last year. Chris, is there a, a clear number one goaltender for this uh, this U.S. squad? I mean, they have three guys with the team. Uh, I don't know any of them, so I don't know if there is or not. Yeah, you know, the one with the with the highest pedigree at this point is probably Thatcher Bernstein, who was one of the top uh, goalies in prep hockey last year. Um, and you know, he's also the one with the size and, and, and kind of comes in with a little bit of a track record. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think he's probably got the inside track, but I do think it's kind of wide open there. You know, Cam Hendrickson played primarily Minnesota high school last year. He was, he had a strong season. Um, you know, uh, Caleb Pyle played uh, also in, in that level. And so, you know, you, you have some guys and he also played for, or sorry, he played for Sioux Falls um, in U18 AAA. And then also with, uh, with the Sioux Falls Stampede for a period of the season. So they have guys with experience. It's just, you know, it's tough to say. And I think goaltending was an issue last year, you know, and and they've had the the depth of goaltending in the United States over the last couple of years has been a little bit lower. We've seen that kind of come to the fore at, at the world juniors where, you know, they had to rely on an underage goalie last year in Trey Augustine. This year, I think that they're going to have Trey Augustine and Jacob Fowler, um, you know, at the world junior level. But I think as you kind of move down, there's there's not a lot of guys that really stand out as, as clear-cut number one guys. So, um, you know, I think even if you had the NTDP goalies, you might, you know, you probably might feel a little bit better, but, you know, just because of the experience that those guys have. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you've, you know, really solidified yourself in the net. So it's, a, it's an interesting situation in the U.S., I think, the, the depth. And I think we've seen it in Canada as well. You know, the depth of goaltending has certainly become an issue. Uh, I have to uh, point out there's a Canadian playing on the blue line for Team USA and Finn McLaughlin, <laughs> who 
is from Canmore, plays in the uh, AJHL with the Canmore Eagles. Uh, I know he's going to Denver eventually, but a little bit surprised. I, I'm assuming he's a dual citizen. I know his dad's Canadian, so I'm guessing his mom's American. The Holinka Gretzky is a little different. It's not like the World U18 where you can play in the uh, Holinka Gretzky Cup and uh, for a different country. It, it's not going to lock you in. Um, so McLaughlin, I'm assuming, didn't get a, an invite from Canada, um, but gets an invite here from the United States. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have a ton of the backstory there, but that's another one of those guys that has more junior experience that, you know, you want, might want to lean a little bit more heavily on, given that he played in the AJHL for a good chunk of last season. He did play in the U.S. Tier 1 ranks um, for the Windy City Storm a couple of years ago. Um, so, you know, there's there's that familiarity there. And, yeah, I'm not 100% certain on how it all worked out in terms of citizenship, but as you mentioned, you know, the the, the Lincoln Gretzky Cup doesn't quite have the same rules as the double uh, IHF, and this certainly won't lock him into playing for the United States. We've actually seen various instances where a player plays for one at the U18 Holinka and then a, the other at the U18 Worlds. I mean, I even I remember uh, Philip Samuelson playing for Sweden at one point and then the U.S. at another right. point. You know, so it's, it's kind of amazing how – how that works out and just, you know, Joachim Ryan was the same way. He played for Sweden at a bunch of different events and then he was in the U S for some. So it's, it's kind of funny how that works out. But, you know, I, as I say to everybody, it's like, you know, the, the player has to play for, you know, the country that he most associates with his nationality, you know, but at the same time, we also know that hockey decisions come into play there too. So I'm um, not fully versed in, in exactly how that worked out, but you know, yeah, he's, he's going to be a guy that I think they're going to have to re- lean on a little bit on their blue line. Uh, I know there's another player, uh, another defenseman I wanted to ask about, and that's Tory Pittner, uh, because the Edmonton Oil Kings had drafted him in the American draft uh, that the WHL has. Uh, now he's going to, I think it was UMass, I believe, uh, but played in Youngstown last yeah. year. Uh, I'm not sure how much he played for them. I, there wasn't a whole lot of production from him, but uh, he did play all nine playoff games uh, for the Phantoms. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what have you seen of him? What sort of a defenseman can he be here for the United States? Yeah, you know, I think defensively he's got some advanced abilities. You know, I think there's good mobility there. He's got decent size to him. Playing for Youngstown, you know, they've leaned so heavily on some of like their top couple of blue liners that, uh, that guys like Pittner did not necessarily have outsized minutes but you know to be part of that championship run to be part of a team that went there and and also having spent part of his season in prep school last year um at south kent like you know having having an opportunity to to step into junior hockey and get that experience with a team that was as good as youngstown was last year i mean you look at all the guys that got drafted in the nhl you know i think pittner's certainly going to put himself on the radar here and, and has an opportunity in front of him to play a leadership role you know, given the experience that he has. So, um, you know, I, I do think that he'll be a, a guy that a, a guy to watch for Team USA for sure. All right, let's switch gears and uh, look at the Canadian roster. And uh, this is mostly, I believe, actually it's entirely CHL players, guys who are either mm-hmm. in the OHL or the dub, and three guys from the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. No WHL goaltenders this year. I don't, I don't know any of the three that are with Team Canada, Gabriel Daig, Carter George, and Ryerson Leanders. Do you know anything about the three goaltenders that Canada has? Yeah, you know, Gabriel Daig actually played for their under-18 World Championship team last year, got into a few games, and he's not draft eligible until 2025. Hmm. So he's a late birth date. Um, And, you know, he actually played, of these guys, he played quite a bit. He's got good size, he's got athleticism to him, he's got some good technique. 
you know, I think for him, it's just coming down to reps and gaining more experience. Because, you know, he played in, for Victoriaville last year, 21 games last year, sub-900 save percentage. But, you know, I think that you can see the tools there. You can see some of the things, and obviously he has the size as well. So plenty of time for him to continue to develop. The fact that he's played a little bit more internationally, I think, really does help him. Um, You know, Carter George uh, played a bit last year in the, um, in, in the, in this, uh, sorry, the GoJHL last year, the, the GOJHL, um, and then also split that time with Owen Sound. So he kind of did that split thing. So it gave him a, a good amount of games at the junior level last year. He put up good numbers both there and at Owen Sound. And, and you know, that, but, but he's a guy that doesn't have that size factor that Dig does. And then, you know, Leanders, quite frankly, I haven't seen a ton of. Um, you know, he's, he played for Mississauga last year. Um, you know, average size player in terms, you know, probably a little bit below for a goaltender, but did get 35 games in the OHL last year um, and was the starter in the playoffs for Mississauga. So a guy that has, you know, some, some high level experience and then maybe doesn't have the numbers or the, you know, that, that going for him yet, but certainly that level of, of usage last year helps his chances in terms of making an impact. He also played, uh, you know, at the world under 17 last year. Um, so getting that additional international experience always helps. Well, I think it's fair to say that the strength of uh, team Canada will be uh, with uh, their skaters uh, because they've got some big name blue liners and uh, some elite forwards as well. Let's start with the blue line and uh, your early top 10 for the, the 2024 NHL draft has three OHL defensemen in it. And they're all on this team uh, in uh, Sam Dickinson uh, Zane Aparek, as well as uh, uh, Henry Muse. Um, these are all three guys that Canada is going to be able to rely on heavily here in this tournament. They they sure are. I mean, you know, you look at that and you've got two right shot guys in Muse and Parak. You've got you know Dickinson who has size and athleticism, and you know he's certainly one of the guys that's in the mix to be the number one defenseman off the board. But you you go back to the under seventeen challenge. I thought Henry Muse was probably you know of the games that I watched of that tournament. You know, there's just tremendous poise for a player at his age, and I think that he's going to be a guy that could play a pretty substantial role. Um, and, and, you know, also, even though there, it's a very OHL-heavy blue line, mm-hmm. um, you know, and we talked a lot last year about how it was a down year for the OHL in the draft. Well, they're coming back with a vengeance this year, especially with three guys on that blue line. And, you know, Parekh is, a, is an offensive-minded guy, He's going to be able to jump into the play. He's, you know, set the U-17 goal scoring record in the, in the OHL last season uh, for a defenseman with 21 goals. And then he still popped off in the playoffs as well for Saginaw. So, you know, he was showing that he could do a lot of different things there. But you have those three players that are, are pretty advanced. And then you have a guy like Charlie Ellick, who I think is going to play a pretty good role for this team. You know, I think that, that they did play their first pre-tournament game. They played a game against Hungary. Um you know, and, and he was really involved in that game. So, you know, I think that there's going to be quite a bit of uh, focus on this uh, blue line. And, and uh, another guy that I did mention, Anthony Cristoforo, had big-time points last year in the OHL for a player at his age. So, you know, I, I really do think that, that this Canadian team is going to be heavily favored, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they have a, a really good blue line that has a mix of size, good defenders, good skaters, you know, good offensive guys. Um, and guys with experience, meaningful experience in high-level games from last season. So that's going to only help their chances as they go forward. When you've seen Charlie Ellick, what are your expectations for him when it comes to the draft? Is he a first-rounder in your opinion? You know, I think it's it's still kind of you – know, I, I did do a kind of a top ten, a guy, like a group of guys that I just feel 
really strongly have separated themselves, at least at this point. Right. And, and so it's a little bit harder to, you know, we're still kind of sorting through that. And I think obviously the whole is going to be a big part of that. You know, in terms of being, you know, having the size, a right shot defenseman, good athleticism. I mean, I, I think all the tools are there for him to put himself in a position to be a first round defenseman. You know, I think outside of those top tier guys, it's really hard to kind of pinpoint. And, and there have been many years where those top tier guys, we had guys that we, we put up there. Some of them don't get drafted. You know, I think back to the, you know, back to Nick Ebert. We all thought he was going to be a top five pick. He ended up being the very last pick in the draft right. um, in his draft season. You know, like that's, it's amazing how it kind of plays out. And, and, and when you watch a full draft season, but I think a guy like Charlie Ellis, you look at the toolkit, you look at where he's at right now, you look at what he did over the course of last season, you say, oh, you know what? There's actually something there, you know, and he didn't have big points. You know, Brandon didn't have the best season. So, you know, it wasn't necessarily a huge indication of, of where he's going or, or what he's doing. But I, I do think that the, the tools are there for him to potentially, you know, kind of jump up and, and be a guy that we were watching a lot this season. All right, maybe buried the lead on this one a little bit, but uh, there's another exceptional status player uh, involved in this tournament. It's the youngest player for Team Canada, Michael Misa, who already being touted as the next big one uh, when it comes to <laughs> hockey prospects. Uh, I don't know how much you've had a chance to watch him play. I haven't seen him with my own eyes yet. Uh, they are hosting the Memorial Cup this year in Saginaw, uh, so we know we're going to get a lot of him uh, this season. Uh, what are your thoughts on Misa? Yeah, so I have not seen him live, but I have seen a lot of video of him. And, right. I, you know, I think that he comes as advertised. I think that there is there is some real high-end skill level there. There is a lot to like about, about his game. He shoots very well. I think you look at his point production from last season, and it is, it is outstanding, you know, for a player at his age. And obviously Saginaw has a team that is, is improving, that, you know, hosting the Memorial Cup this year, you expect they'll be even better this year. Um, and, you know, he's going to be a driving force for that team. And, and I think he will be a driving force for this Canadian team as well. He played very well at the under-17 challenge as an underager. You know, I think every step of the way, he's shown the maturity that you need to have as, as one of those exceptional status players. Now, do I think he's at a Bedard level? Absolutely not. You know, I think that any time we throw the, the exceptional tag on a player, they have to continue to prove it. I think that there's actually quite a bit of competition for the 2025 number one draft pick. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Michael Meese is the guy. Um, but, you know, he is going to be a very significant player for this Canadian team that's a chance to put his stamp on it, similar to the way that Alexi Lafreniere did the year before his draft. And, and you know, he, he played in multiple tournaments where it's just like, wow, this guy is going to be something special. Um, and, and, you know, I think that for, for Michael Misa, what he showed last year at Saginaw was just the confidence to do what he had been doing at the AAA level or at the, at the, the minor hockey level and bring that to the to junior seamlessly. And he only got better as the year went on. You know, I think that he continued to grow and the experience helped. And so that's when you see a player that's, you know, improving and continually adding to their game, that's when you're really happy and you say, okay, this guy isn't just an exceptional status player. He's not just surviving. He is thriving and he's being an impact player. And you know, I think that will only come be, be more true this year. Well, that's uh, Michael Misa. Well, there are a number of other players I'll ask you about, uh, but there's also a guy who's not on the team that maybe a casual fan will take note and say, well, where the heck is Macklin Celebrini and why isn't he on this roster? But he had some uh, some off-season surgery. Yeah, he did. You know, he, he, he actually got banged up in the first game. I think it might have been the second game of Chicago's season last year. Um, and he missed a couple of weeks. He came back pretty quickly. Everything was good. 
Um, you know, played through it with some pain throughout the season, re-injured it at the under-18 Worlds, um, and, you know, and still scored the spectacular bronze medal winning goal for Canada that really just announced him to the rest of the hockey world that, hey, here's, here's the next guy that we're going to be tracking. Um, and so the, he's, he's underwent surgery, I believe, in May because uh, he, he ended up getting injured, uh, you know, it kind of – I don't think he injured it more, but it became harder to play with as he tried to get back into the playoff swing with Chicago. And so he undergoes surgery. Everything's good. Um, it does sound like there's, there's a chance he could miss the beginning of Boston University season. Hmm. So this is kind of something that will linger into the draft season. Um, the good news for Mac and for BU and for the teams that are looking forward to seeing him, he couldn't have really asked for a better person to be – uh, in his corner for his recovery because his dad, Rick, is the director of sport performance and medicine uh, for uh, the, the Golden State Warriors and has helped rehab, you know, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and all these guys. And so, you know, they're going to have a plan in place. And I think, you know, Matt could come back even better and stronger after this injury and with, with time off the ice and, and building strength. But, yeah, that's why he's not going to be part of this tournament. I think, you know, last year they didn't have Connor Bedard. It didn't really matter. I think it'll be the same thing this year. Canada's still very much heavily favored. Disappointing not to be able to see Celebrini at this level, but at the same time, I think there's, that just gives a, a lot of these rest of these guys a chance to stand out. All right, and when you say the rest of these guys, who are three or four guys that uh, come to the forefront uh, when you're thinking that way with the forwards? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think Berkeley Catton is going to be a guy that we're, we're going to be keeping a real close eye on. You know, he had a chance to play um, at the Under-18 Worlds last year. You know, I, I really like the way that he played at the Under-17 Challenge as well. And, and throughout his season, I think that that's a, a player with a tremendous amount of offensive ability and certainly a guy that I've got pretty pretty high on my list. Um, you know, I, I think we're, we're also going to be looking at some of the – there there are a number of guys on this roster that are – that are late 2006s as well that will also be competing with Michael Misa, like Malcolm Spence, um, and, and also uh, Porter Martone. So, you know, those guys are really talented as well. Um, you know, but others, Maxime Messe, uh, out of the queue, you know, really good season last year, good frame, you know, some athleticism to him. Um, you know, I think that he's got some strength and some power in his game that will help him as well. Um, and then, you know, I, I think, you know, Liam Greentree had really good numbers last year, um, in Windsor. So, um, or in, in the OHL. So, you know, I, I think that those are guys that are, are probably going to have an opportunity to make a pretty significant dent. You know, I think the D is probably the, the class of the team in terms of, you know, the top to bottom, how, how talented they are. Uh, but I mean, this, this forward group, they should have no problem scoring goals in this tournament. All right, there are six other teams in the event, a number of them with draft-eligible players of note. Uh, do you have a, a short list of guys that you're keeping tabs on from the other six countries? Well, I'll tell you what. You know, I, I, I thought Finland might uh, send some of their best to, to this tournament, but they're not. They're, they're, they're two best prospects for this uh, draft classes uh, going to the World Junior Summer Showcase. So we, we haven't really seen a lot. You know, I think the Czech roster is definitely interesting. Uh, Adam Juracek is, is a, an intriguing defenseman on that team. I think I got a lot of time for him as a, as a potential higher draft pick this year. You know, I think the Czech team has a lot of guys that have played as underagers at various tournaments, the under-18 Worlds, previous under-18 uh, Holinkas as well. Um, so I think that they're going to have a pretty solid team. But, you know, beyond that, I think Sweden does have a few players. We haven't seen their final roster yet, so it's hard to say 
um, exactly, you know, which guys will be, will be wanting to keep a, the closest eye on. Uh, but, you know, I think the fact that we're going to have another tournament without Russia here, so it is kind of, we will probably see a few of these games be a little bit more of a, the dud variety. Um, it, it is summer hockey, and I think <laughs> there is a gap uh, between these teams. Um, so, you know, that's, that's the other thing, but I, and that's why, you know, you do have to take the results and, and performances of the Holy Gretzky cup with a grain of salt and just understand that this is a baseline that we're setting. It is certainly not, you know, a huge indicator of, you know, where, where these guys are going to go, but it does also stand to reason that often every year at this tournament, the top scores very frequently are drafted fairly high. <laughs> so it, it is a little bit of an indicator but it certainly isn't the uh, the entire picture. Yeah, it's a long way before the uh, 2024 uh, NHL draft. Uh, before I let you go, Chris, uh, you mentioned the Summer Showcase uh, with USA, uh, Sweden, and Finland. They all get together in Plymouth, Michigan. Uh, I, I guess you, I know you're heading out there uh, shortly to take it all in. Uh, what are you looking forward to there? Maybe uh, uh, who are some of the key guys for Team USA? I know there's a lot. You could talk for, uh, I'm sure, an hour on uh, the depth of uh, USA. Yeah, the, I mean, the U.S., they, they probably lost Logan Cooley, who just signed his ELC with the Arizona Coyotes. So right. you, you lose your probable number one center, and then you've got to replace that. But they have, a, you know, about a dozen first-round or future first-round draft picks. You know, I, there are a lot of the guys, you know, Cutter Gauthier, Lane Hudson, um, Jimmy Snuggerud. I mean, those are going to be key guys. And then you've got the, the, the guys coming up from last year's under-18 team, Will Smith, Ryan Leonard. Um, you know, what's, what's going to be really interesting is how they structure their blue line because they've lost a ton of talent from there. And really, you've got Lane Hudson and Ryan Chesley as the only returnees. And you don't have a lot of size back there either. You know, guys like Sam Rinzel, who's a first-round pick of the Blackhawks, he could be a potential guy that you, that you have there. He's six foot four, but most of the, more than half of their defensemen they've invited to camp are sub-six foot. So that's a little bit of a, a challenge for you know, roster construction, but, you know, that's going to be interesting. At this actual event, too, um, it will be a good spot to kind of get a peek at the 2024 draft class because you'll have, um, at this tournament, you'll have Cole Iserman, who, you know, is probably no no worse than number three of going into next season. He's number two on my list, um, scored 69 goals last season. He's on the their 2025 draft eligible. James Higgins is also on the roster for this camp and is going to be given an opportunity. I think with Cooley out, that increases the likelihood of a guy like Hagen's finding a way onto the roster. He's a really skilled player. Um, he'll probably challenge Misa for the top of the draft. But also for Finland, you've got Aaron Kibiharyu and Konsta Hellenius, two guys that were on my top, my, my early top 10. Kibiharyu is a tremendous offensive defenseman who is undersized. And then Hellenius is actually a guy who at 16 years old was playing a regular shift in Liga last year, Finland's top pro league. And so wow. he's getting a big opportunity here. So that's a guy that we're going to be really looking forward to seeing at this tournament. So there, you're exactly right, Keith. This is a, you know, a star-studded event. It's one of the great ways to kick off the season. Um, I'm going to be doing a ton of world junior coverage throughout the year. So that's the main reason that I'm going to that and, and skipping out on the Holinka Gretzky Cup. But I do think that there's um, some really good value in this tournament, just as a, again, setting a baseline for the season. Where is everybody at? How are they doing? You know, how do they look against their peers? And this of course is a very competitive event as well, because there are a lot of teams. These guys are trying to make world junior rosters and you, you might not get your name, uh, you know, on the roster in ink at this event. Uh, you might not get completely written off 
as a, as a, or cut from this event, but it is an important thing that definitely sticks in the minds of, of the decision makers. So it is an important one. And that's, that tends to bring out the best in a lot of these players. So there'll be a lot of this stuff and Holinka stuff uh, at Flow Hockey. What else you got going on? Yeah, I mean, you know, just getting ready for next season. Got a lot of stuff. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, of hockey on Flow Hockey next year, the USHL and the ECHL. But there's a lot more coming as well. Uh, you know, Hockey TV and, and Flow Hockey have been partnered. Um, you know, as as and and a lot of that content that you were watching on Hockey TV will be coming to Flow Hockey real soon. Um, so that's going to be really exciting for us. It's going to be a, you know, a hub of, of live rights and live streaming and, and a place where you can see a lot of the guys that are, you know, kind of working their way up the ranks and, and trying to make it to the NHL. So uh, very excited about that. There's going to be a lot more coming. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's, you know, it's the off season, but it's super busy. Yeah. So I, I don't even know if there is an off season anymore. Yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, so, but it, it's a lot of fun and, and certainly a lot of content written video and otherwise, um, about the upcoming season. We'll, you know, be covering the 2024 NHL draft the whole way from now until the picks are made. So really can't wait to, uh, to get another season underway here. Outstanding. Chris, as always, man, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for being the final guest of season 18 and uh, I look forward to talking to you uh, next season. Yeah, I love it. I hope that you, uh, you played some Enter Sandman for me on uh, on the way in out of the bullpen. So uh, happy to close it out there. And that was Chris Peters from Flow Hockey with a look ahead to the upcoming Holinka Gretzky Cup, which gets going on Monday. I did see the uh, box score from the uh, Canada-Hungary tune-up game. I believe it was a four-point game for Caden uh, Lindstrom of the Medicine Hat Tigers. A couple of goals, a couple of assists. Big body Lindstrom was very noticeable last season with the Medicine Hat Tigers, where he had 42 points in 61 games. 19 of those points were goals. He might be going under the radar a little bit coming into the event. I think he's going to stand out. And I also think uh, Ryder Ritchie, for some reason with the Prince Albert Raiders, I think he's going to be a guy who makes a name for himself uh, during the Holinka as well. And I don't think Jordan Gavin got a mention uh, during that conversation from Chris, but another player who. Had a impressive rookie season. He plays for the Tri-City Americans. Had 22 goals and 54 points in just 62 games last year. He's the second overall pick in the WHL draft in 2021. Right behind Berkeley Catton. Ryder Ritchie had 20 goals, 55 points in 61 games last year as a rookie with the Prince Albert Raiders. Also a first-round pick that same year in the WHL draft. So there's lots of talent. Uh, for Canada, and they should win this event, but always great to get uh, someone else's opinion on some of these players and who they're looking to, especially uh, a scout like Chris Peters. That is going to wrap it up for not just this week's episode, but for this season, season 18, now officially in the books. I really appreciate you listening throughout the season, or if you're just picking up an episode here or there, maybe you're just listening to specific segments, whatever it is. Thank you. And a big shout-out once again to all the patrons because I can't do the show without that support. Patreon.com slash show, Two bucks a month American or a 10% discount if you do it on an annual basis. Keeps the show going. I really appreciate the support. What do you get for that uh, contribution? Well, you get early access to all the interviews. These interviews have been done for two, three, one of them for over a week now with uh, Steve Ewan. Uh, early access, those interviews all available to patrons long before they're released as a complete package uh, with a full episode. 
So what's next? Well, a couple of weeks off for this guy, recharge some batteries, and then come back on August 18th is the target for the season premiere of season 19 of the Pipeline Show. And you know, at the start of the year, we're always doing the team-by-team WHL previews. Uh, but that first show back might be a week where we do a little touch on other stuff and then get into the WHL previews. I think I'd like to uh, contact Mike Snee from College Hockey Inc. as a uh, Lots of college hockey news, but a new team or two next season. Arizona State going to the uh, NCHC. So definitely some topics we can talk about there. And because there'll be so much WHL content in the first uh, six weeks of the uh, the season, got to make sure that we pay attention to some of the other leagues that, uh, that we cover here on a regular basis too uh, before those team-by-team previews start. So uh, we will probably do that in episode number one recap of what happened at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Maybe the summer showcase as well uh, from Plymouth. Whatever the case, uh, soon after that, we'll get in, start getting into the 2024 draft spotlight segments. Boy, that makes me feel old. No matter the case, I hope you'll be back. I'm really looking forward to next season. Until then, everybody, get out and enjoy a couple of weeks of summer, and then we can talk about a new season right here on the Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name is Guy Flaming. See you in two weeks.